Just give me the title slide. That's perfect. This is part eight of the letters to the Thessalonians, and so today we're going to talk about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I do want to, you to know we're going to talk about some end times things uh, in this message as we talk about events around the coming of the Lord, and uh, I want you to just be prepared. I'm not trying to stir up any kind of major controversy, um, but I do want us to delve into what Paul was telling the church here in Thessalonica. But let me start with this. When I was 19, 20 years old, I was working for my grandfather as his hired hand on his farm in Ontario. And uh, we did a lot of uh, custom work, which is work for other farmers, because my grandfather loved machinery. He, he loved it so much that he'd just buy some more, and my grandmother was always saying, you're not allowed to buy another tractor. It's not, you're just not allowed. And he'd be going to auctions and finding things. And uh, anyway, you know what happens when you have a lot of machines? Eventually, one breaks. And there were moments when we had used our machines so heavily and intently that we needed to take a day that was just a repair day. And on this particular day, uh, we had a couple of different broken machines. I was working uh, on a, a cutting knife for a haybine. I know a lot of you don't know what that is, but there's little sharp sections that vibrate back and forth and cut the hay down. And uh, my grandfather was working on another machine uh, in another part of the yard. And my cousins were over, uh, visiting the farm. And uh, I have lots of boy cousins. And uh, they're very interested in all the things that were going on. Now, they're much younger than I am. So these, uh, these fellows were over. And uh, there was probably a boy that was about six years old. And you can imagine what's happening. I'm, I'm underneath this machine with sharp parts in a very confined area, trying to hammer out these rivets. And the six-year-old comes along and goes, what you doing? You can imagine the rest of the conversation as it went on, right? Why are you doing that? And uh, as it went, you know, I, I, I love kids. I love working with kids, even when I was uh, just a teenager in my young adult years. But the truth is, after a while, it becomes too much for you. And so, now I knew that my grandfather had already been through all of this, and that the reason that the kid was standing there at my machine was that my grandfather got tired of the questions and sent him over. And so I said to him, why don't you go see what grandpa's doing? <laughs> and sure enough, he trots off and asks the same questions <laughs> all over again. And eventually, he comes back to where I'm doing, and I've done a little bit more, and and uh, so he wanders back and forth, back and forth, all the time. Now, as I have grown older, I have come to appreciate those moments of questions much more than I did when I was a young adult. And I want you to know that the Apostle Paul has that exact same attitude in the book of 2 Thessalonians. You see, this young church that he had planted had questions. They had lots of questions. Questions about how church should be and the coming of the Lord and different things that were going to happen and how they should endure persecution in the midst of their town. All kinds of questions. And so in the midst of the book, the letter that Paul wrote, he is answering some. And in this second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, he is answering some questions about the second coming of Christ. Now, he mentioned a little bit in his first letter, if you remember what we were talking about, Jesus coming on the clouds, and all of those kind of things.
But they had much more quest- many more questions. And so today, I am going to read the entire chapter of uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I just want you to bear with us because it's all important. So take this in as we are reading, starting at verse 1 here. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how will we, we will be gathered to meet Him. Is it not working? Pardon? Oh. One more thing to fix later on, so we'll, we'll deal with that when we get there. Is the computer working to flip to the Scripture verses? Okay, go for it. There we go. Let's start again. <laughs> now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I, told, that I told you about all this when I was with you, and you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief and, uh, in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, your brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. I want you to know that this early church in Thessalonica, they had the question about timing. Has the Lord already turned? 
Has He already returned and we are living in the end times? Is the return of Christ already begun and we weren't aware? Did we miss something? Has Jesus already come back? And so this question that they had was really about timing. Is it the time? Now, Paul gives a response in a number of different ways, and that's what I wanted to speak with you here at the beginning about. What is Paul's response? The first thing is this. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by people who have claimed to have a vision, a dream, some letter or word or something else that says that the day of the Lord has already happened or is happening. You can flip the slide there, please. Don't be fooled by them. That's what Paul says right at the beginning. Because he had already taught them about the things that were going to happen, and he's reminding them about what he has said already. And says, don't don't be fooled by the things that are around you. He's very concerned about this because he knows that their questions are leading to the possibility of them being confused. Or that they could potentially be deceived by people that would want to take advantage of them. Deception, you need to know, is the devil's native language. And so we need to be aware as the people of God that there are deceptive teachings that go around. And Paul was making the early church aware of these things and says, don't be fooled by things that you know better for. And then he talks about some of the events that will come around the coming of the Lord. And he says this, there's going to be a great rebellion, a great rebellion against God. And that is so important for us to realize that before the end comes, there is this great rebellion that occurs against the Lord God Almighty. Now, Timothy, uh, in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul describes it to Timothy, his protege, and says this is what it's going to be like. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, Paul was telling this to Timothy. And that was a very long time ago. He said, watch for this. Now, in every generation, there have been times and moments when they could look at a scripture like this and say, well, that sounds like our day. And if we look at our times, the things we're living in, we can say, well, that sounds like our day. And yes, it does. And we need to be aware that there will be moments when there will be various rebellions against the Lord God Almighty. There will be various places that suffer persecution against being a Christian simply because they are a Christian. They will suffer because of these kinds of things. People in their region will rebel against what is good and what is godly. But on a grand scale, in the end, there will be a great rebellion. 
A great rebellion, I believe, across the whole globe. And Paul says you need to be aware that at that time, that is when Jesus will be coming. Now, is that time this day? Maybe. You know, one of the interesting things about the question of timing, of when will the Lord return, is that the early church, Paul the teacher, we have been told this as well, is that only God knows when He's going to send Jesus back. There's no amount of guessing that is going to be good for you or for me. And so these questions, Paul is revealing to them, again, just saying, you just got to trust God for this. But there will be a great rebellion, and it's possible for people's love to grow cold and them to turn away from spiritual growth. Like, just think about what has happened within the whole realm of the pandemic. We see how easy it has been for, you know, rules to be passed, and all of a sudden churches are closed, people are stopping meeting together for worship, and, you know, in the result of that, we have tried very hard to not only follow the rules of the government, but also gather when we need to. But not everywhere has been like that. And there are now some churches that even when they want to open their doors, there's nobody that's coming in. And that is a shame because what has happened in the hearts of those people that would not return to worship? Now, I know, we're still in the midst of things. People still have lots of health issues and we're going through the process. We have not seen everybody be able to come back. But we are expecting that because the worship of God is so important that over these times as the pandemic has lessened that people will return. Why? Because they love Jesus. And loving Jesus, being able to gather and worship together is important. And we want to encourage people to continue to do that. You know, in times of persecution, we have seen across the world where there have been places where they have oppressed Christianity, and yet it has flourished. Where dictators have tried to say, no, there's going to be no church meetings, and yet in the underground, churches, people have gathered for the sake of discipleship and worship, uh, reading the Word of God, and more people have come to Christ, even in the midst of persecution. You say, why is that happening? That can happen because of the Spirit of God moving amongst the people in the world. Will that happen forever? I don't think so. I think there will be a change. And part of that will be this great rebellion that will rise up against the things of God and people will turn aside from what is good. The next thing that Paul wanted to teach the church, of course, was about the man of lawlessness. That's how he terms it in 2 Thessalonians. But what he's talking about, as recorded in other places in the New Testament, is the Antichrist. Now, I need you to know that Antichrist, or this lawlessness that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians, is first of all a spirit in the world. And so 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, John describes it this way, But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, 
that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. So in John's day, when he was writing this, even before he was writing the book of Revelation, he was talking about the spirit in the world that was against God, that was anti-Christ, against Jesus, the Messiah. And Paul said the same thing to the church in Thessalonica. There is at work a spirit of lawlessness that is secret. But there will come a time when it is exposed and comes out into the public. Now I need you to know that I believe that there have been lawless rulers throughout history that Satan has been using or has used in order to raise up an antichrist figure. As you go through history, you will see that there was various people, uh, and at times when the church believed that they could well have been antichrists. Some of the Caesars of Rome, like Nero, likely candidate for that kind of rulership that Satan would use and raise up a lawlessness within the world. Certainly, we look at somebody like Hitler and we can identify that, yes, there was a lawlessness. A satanic spirit coming in a way that would help him to dominate and control many places in the world. But there are others. Some look at Napoleon. Some look at a, a despotic type of pope as a future antichrist. And they wonder, who could it be? And of course, right now, because of the war, many people are looking uh, at Russia and saying, well, is, is Putin the, the antichrist? Which I would say no. <laughs> you can talk to me about all the specifics of that later. However... Just so that you know, Satan is always trying to work the spirit of Antichrist in the world to raise up a ruler that will destroy the things of God. We shouldn't be surprised that he is active and at work. And one day, such a person, a real physical person, will embody the spirit of Antichrist and will rise up in the world to come into a place of world power and confidently declare that He is God. And He will be the Antichrist. He will use signs and miracles and wonders to deceive people on the earth and ultimately He will be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns. However, you know, in the process of that, I'm going to give you my two cents worth about this. I believe when such a ruler rises up in the world that the world will embrace him for one particular reason, and you can see it already happening in what's uh, happening in our world now, is that there are so many problems and so little, little leadership that has the solutions to those problems. And one day, there will rise up a ruler inspired by Satan that will say, I have the solutions to your problems. And the people of the world will go, follow that guy. He knows what he's doing and he will solve all of the problems. And ultimately, in the course of that, seizing that kind of power will raise up a type of lawlessness 
that the world has never seen, an anti-God type of lawlessness. Now, that doesn't mean that there will be no law. It's likely that what it means is that it'll only be his law that will take place. This man of lawlessness will rise up in the world. And then the end will come. Jesus Christ will come. Now Paul teaches this next point, which is interesting. He he teaches that at the present time, his time, that that person is restrained. That the spirit of Antichrist literally is being held back from taking full power and control. Paul teaches that the Antichrist is restrained and held back by what? Now, he tells the church that they already know who it is that's holding it back. Who this restrainer from the Antichrist being uh, publicly declared in the world, from Satan being able to bring such a person into power, that it's being held back. Now, he doesn't mention it specifically in black and white. Now, some say that the restrainer is the preaching of the gospel. And that as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in the world, that that holds back the spirit of Antichrist. They wouldn't be completely wrong. I mean, I I do believe that the power of the gospel when the message is shared is very powerful and it has an amazing effect on people that turns them away from evil towards what is good. But the way that the language is, I just don't think that that's the whole picture of it. Some people say that it is the church before the rapture takes place. That is, before uh, Jesus Christ returns to reclaim His own and the church is taken out of this world to be with the Lord forever, that at that time, the church being removed means that the godliness of the world is removed and therefore the Antichrist could rise up. And that is also a possibility because indeed, if the church is taken out of the world, you can imagine all across the whole globe, the people that worship and declare the goodness of God would be taken away. That would have a huge effect on our world. However, this last, what people say about who is holding it back, I think is probably more correct. And that would be that it is actually the Holy Spirit Himself who is the restrainer. And that the Holy Spirit working in the church through the people of God is really what is holding back the Antichrist from being revealed. And so that's my personal view, although I've told you some of the others because there are lots of other opinions and nobody knows for sure. Only God. But I believe that the Holy Spirit at one time, not that He would remove himself entirely from work on the earth, but that he would take his hands off from restraining sin and that there will be not only this great rebellion and great deception, but the Antichrist would be given a free reign to move in the world before God pours out his wrath on sin and evil. And so Paul gives this 
church in Thessalonica, a real overview, shares all of this information with them, and he reminds them that they should not be deceived into thinking that Jesus has already returned and they somehow missed it. They should not be deceived into thinking that all of this has already occurred, but they should keep their eyes open for these things. Now, as we come to an application of this, what does that mean to us? A couple thousand years later, after this has been written, we see things happening in our world that are very concerning to us. What does it mean to us? Well, I want to remind you that Paul told the early church not to be deceived, not to be confused, not to be led astray, and we need to take that word to heart. Don't let us become confused or led astray or deceived. Because there are many people in our world that would declare teaching that you know, Jesus has already come back or that uh, Satan is going to do such and such and there are false prophets that will proclaim many things and they have an open platform to do so uh, using the internet. It's easy. And so ultimately, don't let the confusion of our circumstance take away from your faith in God. It's important to note that. Right? Because when people get confused and deceived, they get distracted. Now, he encourages them in the fact that they have already believed in the truth of Christ and they've already received salvation. They've already come to this place where they will be rescued from the wrath of God and they need to stay fast. And so the main point of my message today is this. Christians should not be confused by the events of the end times, but rather strengthened in their faith in Christ so that they may continue to do good as long as Jesus gives them time to serve others. As long as we have breath to serve God, as long as we have opportunity to worship Him, then we should do good to others, we should stay faithful to Christ, and we should do the things that we have always done in serving the Lord, in spite of the circumstances. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I remind you again, with all these things in mind, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. You know, even if the present day events are precursors to the imminent return of Christ, even if it was to happen tomorrow, we should not lose focus, but stay faithful to Christ, doing the things that we have always done. We need to stand firm in the faith. You know, one of the fam- uh, not only famous places, but favorite places Cindy and I like to go to is Butchart Gardens all the different seasons, we take in the things that are there, and in the gardens there are a couple of sequoias that they planted as seedlings. Now these trees really are uh, less than a, or somewhere just in that area of 100 years old. So they're not super, super old. But they are super, super big. Like these things are massive. They're, They're big and round and tall, and they stand. Doesn't matter about the wind, or storms, these trees are rooted. And every time I see them, I just think, wow, these things are big. They're not going to be knocked over easily. 
And I would pray the same thing for you. Do not be misled, confused, or uprooted easily at all. Or at all. Study the Word of God. Know what it says. Know what God is saying about these matters. There's many more uh, chapters and verses about end time events and prophecy that you can read through. Now, is it an easy study? No. (laughs) It's not an easy study, but it's worthwhile. And I believe it can encourage your faith more so because it will let you be opposed to that which is false. You'll be able to recognize that which is a lie. And you will be able to promote within yourself an understanding of the truth of Christ and what the Word of God really says. So we need to stand firm in our faith. That's what, that's what Paul was telling the church. That's what we need to do. And the second thing is to be strengthened to do good in action and in word. We need to constantly remember that Paul was telling the church, whatever they're doing, whatever they're saying, they need to be faithful to Christ. Keep on doing the good that you were doing before. Even if the man of lawlessness was revealed, even if the, uh, Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow, keep on doing that which is good. Now, when I was a youth pastor... We were always raising money for youth conventions and places to go to camp. And the kids, they, they really struggled to raise enough money. And there were some kids that they never had any money. And so I would give them opportunity to work. If you worked, you made money. Now, I wasn't going to work just so that they could you know, go to camp or do other things. But I was going to give them an opportunity to do so. I can't remember how many car washes I used to run just so that they could make... And a car wash was like a gold mine. Like, if you did a good job, people would pay, not me as an adult, but a 13-year-old, they would pull out their 20s and just dump them in the bucket. And it was amazing how much people were willing to pay a kid to go to camp to do whatever. But they had to do a good job, and there was the, the crux of the matter. Because 13-year-olds generally don't know how to wash cars. And so there was my dilemma. You know, there's, uh, there's kids and they're, you know, throwing suds at each other and sponges and things, and I'm just trying to get them focused. You've got to work here. It's going to take some work if you're going to earn the money. And they're, you know, washing cars like this. Guy drives away and there's big circles of dirt. And it's like, oh, you can't wash a car like that. It's all bad you got to go across, work your way all the way to the bottom, bend your knees. And so I was riding these kids hard. Now, there was a reward and payoff at the end. Because if they showed up and they worked hard, I literally took all of the profits and I split it with the kids that were there and that were dedicated. And so they could make a fair bit of coin in one day's work, but they had to put up with me telling them the way it was going to be done. (laughs) And let me tell you, uh, one of the teens once said to me, you're kind of like a benevolent dictator. Like, you are going to pay us, but you're going to make us do what, what you have to be done, what has to be done. And that's the truth of the matter is, we do the work of as Christians in sharing the love of God, and sometimes it is work. Now, let me tell you this. It is not the work that saves you right? 
We know that we are saved by the grace of God. We come in repentance to Jesus Christ and because of His work on the cross, we are forgiven. But because we serve Christ, we have this great opportunity to share the love of Jesus and there are times when it really does feel like work. It can be harder in various moments. But so rewarding because God gives us opportunity to do good, to share goodness, to bless others. And so we depend on the Holy Spirit to help us to do that which is good. And so as I come to the end of my message today, I tell you this. Don't be confused. You do not need to be argumentative when it comes to the things of the end times. What you do need to do is be active in your faith as you live for Christ, regardless of the moments and the times. We keep on moving. We keep on trusting Jesus. Will you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to pray today that we would be active. And I know that you have been. You have been gracious to share the Word of God. You have been generous with your money to help others. You've been uh, encouraging and reaching out to those that are in need. Those that need encouragement, those that are lonely. All of those things are very, very important. Keep on doing them. Keep being active in your faith. Father God, we thank you for what you have done. You have provided us salvation in Jesus Christ. And God, we want to continue to cooperate with you in doing the work of the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus. And we know that there will be chaos in the end times. There will be a rebellion where people turn away from what is good, but that's not going to be us. In this day in which we stand, we want to be people of faith who are faithful, dedicated to you and what will happen, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to sing a little bit of a celebration song that we sung at the beginning of the service uh, because we're not concerned about you know, the things that Satan has in planned for this world, but we are concerned. Make it our priority to worship Christ and celebrate it. When they first sang Hosanna, it was because Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were saying, he's the Savior. We sing it, the same thing today, for the same reason. He is the Savior.